to whom it may concern. What I am doing here is not for you. Not for your judgment or your appraisal. Not for your assessment or your arousal. No boy I know has ever been told he shouldn't play, couldn't play. interested in shouldn'ts or couldn'ts or rules not written for me. I am not worried about getting too big or too strong or too fast or too full of myself. I do not agree that playing like a man is a compliment. What I'm doing here is not for you. Movement is a movement. My effort, my ambition, my desire for me. For every woman, every girl who dares to see herself as something more than a body to be rated, a score to be kept. When I play, I keep my own score. When I play, I know who I am. When I play, I forget how it feels to be boxed in, to be boxed out. When I play, I feel no shame. When I play, I remember how it feels to be free. This court, this field, this world, too small to hold me. When I play, I know I won't be undone. I won't be unsung. My humility, my humanity. My movement, a movement. This is not the end of my dream. This is where I, where I, where I, where I, where I, wake up. Hey, what's good, everybody? It's Cedric Warren, your host of Said Talk. Get it like TED Talk, but it's me. Couple of things. Hey, as we continue to focus on Women's History Month, uh, I'm so excited because we're getting to another arena that definitely lacks representation, and that is sports. So last week, we had my Aunt Celeste, uh, the Chief Diversity Officer of Merck, uh, share her experience as a Black woman in leadership, uh, how companies can increase opportunities for women, and of course, how they can uh, increase opportunities for greater diversity, equity, and inclusion. So be sure to check that episode out. Um, it is called Women in Leadership. It is available on our SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Play as well. Uh, all our links are in our uh, Instagram bio as well, which is at said underscore talk. So this week, uh, I'm definitely excited about this one, excited about the whole month, really, y'all. I'm really just uh, glad to be focusing on this topic here, and I think it's a great uh, opportunity to share a lot of different things and a lot of different experiences. So this week, we're focusing on women in sports, and not just athletes, but on all levels of involvement. Uh, that's journalists, writers, managers, coaches, executives, etc. Uh, 
Um, so y'all know I'm a huge sports fan. I'm usually talking about sports if you follow me on social media. Uh, just to run it down, just in case you don't know or you haven't listened to my rants on Twitter or anything else, uh, I'm a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I'm an Indiana Pacers fan in the NBA just by default and living in Indianapolis. Uh, I'm a fan of my alma mater, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks. And then uh, my secondary college team is the Oregon Ducks. So those are my teams. uh, And I'll probably be talking about those more and more as we go throughout the podcast, uh, either today or on other other episodes. Uh, So today I have Shakia Shakia Taylor with me uh, to expand more on the topic of women in sports and share her experiences as well. So hello, Shakia. How are you? Hi, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yes. Great. So what I want to do is uh, just give a little background about women's in sports. I have a few statistics and some um, bullet points, and then um, we'll get into our interview with you and you get to share your experience with us. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So uh, we can trace the start of women's sports history back to the 19th century. Uh, By the end of the 19th century, horseback riding, archery, golf, tennis, skiing, and skating were enjoyed uh, among women, mainly in the upper social classes. Um, I think a lot of those are still being enjoyed by a lot of women in upper classes, but it is a little more diverse now. Uh, First time females participated in Olympic Games were the second Olympic Games in 1900. Uh, Modern Olympic Games, I should say. Uh, According to the IOC, only 12 female athletes competed in the second Olympic Games out of the 1,066 athletes from 19 countries. And the two sports they competed in were golf and tennis. Uh, These were initially designed for elite women, colleges and clubs. Uh, So that exclusion uh, was also there as well. Uh, Some of the exclusionary reasons uh, were based upon, I'm doing air quotes here, scientific reason uh, that activity or physical activity sports would uh, take up too much energy when women were on their cycles. Uh, Sports could women render women infertile. Uh, So those are just some of the quote unquote uh, scientific reason why women shouldn't play sports. Uh, But we all know that's bogus. Uh, Today, women are competing in all sports, even football, and women are even executive roles, uh, but that's still lacking as well. So today, uh, Shakia, I wanted to just have you tell us who you are, uh, what you do, your background, and how you got into doing what you're doing. That's a huge question. Um, (laughs) Well, take your time. um, I write about culture and baseball, um, mostly black culture. Um, I feel like that's an area in baseball writing that was lacking. And I don't know, I just kind of started doing it one day. You know how you see that an area needs something and you're like, well, why not me? That's kind of how that started, I guess. Yeah. Um, How I got into it. Well, um, I told this story a few weeks ago to somebody who thought it was kind of incredible, but I think it's kind of dumb luck. My dad always says that I have a horseshoe somewhere. Um, But I lost my job back in 2016 in the spring. And instead of, I don't know, saving money, (laughs) I started spending it going to more baseball games. I just needed something to do. Applying for jobs day in and day out is kind of a pain. Oh, yeah. So 
while I was applying for jobs and waiting for interviews and going to baseball games, I decided to start blogging. Okay. And I thought it was fun. You know, I had a couple friends and we went on a few road trips and went to different ballparks and I just blogged the experience. Yeah. Um, talked about what it was like. Um, I started hosting a fundraiser for Jackie Robinson Day and things just kind of took off from there. Nice. 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 Yeah. Uh, it, it reminds me of Miss Frizzle's uh, saying she used to say, uh, see a need, fill a need. So... Um, I'm glad you you saw that need and definitely fulfill it uh, as well. Uh, so was writing something that you used to do growing up? Is it a passion of yours coming up? Was it like a subject that you really gravitated towards or was it maybe an aha moment to where you realize I could be good at writing? Actually, I've always really enjoyed writing. I'm a huge reader. Okay. My apartment is filled with books. There's books on windowsills. They're stacked on the floor. Nice. Um, my nightstands, kind of like Daria's, just stacks of books. <laughs> um, I used to write all the time, and for some reason, I would always write a mythical version of like my birth. And I don't know why I was obsessed with that as a kid, yeah. but I would always write some very fantastic version of how I was born. Um, and then in high school, I took a creative writing class and I wrote for my high school newspaper. And it's funny because my dad used to always say, you should be a writer, you should be a journalist. And <laughs> I'd be like, but they don't make any money. Um, <laughs> right. So I, I didn't pursue that at all. And then in my 30s, I just started writing one day. That's good, that's good. Um... I I can kind of relate to uh, what you're talking about. It's interesting. I currently work in public health. I love that. Um, I'm transitioning more so into the nonprofit and, and philanthropic world. Uh, and there's some intersect there as well. But I actually started this podcast. And for those who are first time listeners or if you're a previous listener, you kind of know the story. But I also had a reduction in my job time. Um, a lot of work in public health is based off of grants, government grants. So if the funding is not there, uh, they can't necessarily pay your full salary. So back in November, I actually went down to 15 hours a week. And then in January, I went down to 12 hours a week at my job. So uh, in order to fulfill the time, I needed something to do. I love listening to podcasts. Um, it was something I did at work and on the way to work, on the way home a lot of times. So I, I have a different, you know, a bevy of different uh, podcasts I listen to. But in the conversation with my brother, I've always talked about, you know, possibly doing one. So uh, I think maybe the week I had to go to this part time status, I ordered a mic off of Amazon, uh, did some research on some recording uh, software and just got to it. And the first one I recorded was really, I guess you could say, almost ad-lib. Like I, I, I kind of planned it out, but I didn't either. And the said talks really came from me writing on Facebook. I would kind of write my opinions and thoughts about things and then go from there. So as someone who did not talk much growing up, uh, it is interesting that I'm now enjoying uh, talking to people and, <laughs> and everything else now. So I, I was a social person, uh, but definitely within smaller circles. So I think this is helping me continue to grow and uh, step out of comfort zones and things like that as well. Um, right. 
writing has definitely made me a little more social. I am reluctantly social. Um, in my Twitter bio, I actually have the phrase charming introvert. Uh, <laughs> and it's because um, the writing has brought more people my way and people want to talk and people want to talk about baseball. And I think it's unexpected, but it is making me reluctantly social. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a little it's kind of forcing your hand a little bit. Um, uh-huh. That's interesting. So, well, that's good. Um, so, secondary question to that: uh, since I mentioned my teams in the beginning, please give us the teams that you do follow uh, collegiately, professionally, as well. Okay, so I went to Loyola University Chicago. Um, there is no football team there. Um, there is a basketball team, men's basketball team, I should say. Yep. And uh, they were uh, pretty popular a couple years ago. Yep. Sister Jean yeah. um, became a huge deal. Nice. Um, but because I went to a small school that isn't exactly nationally popular, um, I do, as someone who grew up in Ohio, I'm a big Ohio State fan. Um, huge Ohio State fan actually I try not to take it too far because I didn't go there but um, there is a connection Listen. between most people in the state <laughs> Ohioans I've, I've recognized this because the funny thing is that like I went to school in South Carolina and I think out of the Ohio, out of state students Ohio probably had the first or second most people attending our school uh and i mean ohioans are ohioans to death like they follow every team in ohio and (laughs) yeah like the whole way like it's it's like yes i know the brown like our my the gym i used to go to there's two brothers from ohio and like big ohio state fans big cleveland brown fans and like the brown's been awful forever but he still had this huge cleveland brown fan uh flag in his office and all day so i respect there's it there's no one more loyal than a browns fan i am not a browns fan but yeah there's no one more loyal than a browns fan i'm actually a bears fan nice um i didn't really get into nfl until college so i was in chicago and my roommate freshman year her, her family had season tickets nice and one of her sisters was pregnant and opted out of going so i got to go to Bears games for free. Nice. Um, and, you know, it was a real good time, and Erlacher was just starting out oh, yeah. there. So yeah. it was a good time to want to start watching. Yeah, that was a good time in uh, um, Bears play. I, I was a. Uh, Erlacher was a monster, man. He. <laughs> It was fun to watch athletically. Like he, he was sideline to sideline and just, you know, amazing. His his transition from extremely dominant professional football player to a guy with um, hair plugs is kind of incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he had hair plugs. I, I haven't really seen him in a while. Or seen Oh, yeah. Brian Erlacher has hair now. And nice. if you're ever driving through Chicago, um, on pretty much any of the expressways, you'll see these very large billboards that say hair lacquer. Um, and it's Brian Erlacher promoting the product used to grow his hair. I wish I were kidding with you, but I am. it's Brian Erlacher and Ryan Sandberg. Like, it's huge. Oh, Two man. of Chicago's, like, biggest right. sports icons are pushing hair plugs. It's, it's kind of amazing. That's awesome. Um, 
and for NBA, <laughs> I, I used to be a Bulls fan. Uh, <laughs> the Bulls think so. I don't really, yeah. I don't really watch them too much. Um, I actually gave the Bulls up for Lent a few years ago. Nice. As kind of a joke, and then I never went back. Never. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, um, oh, and MLB, of course. Right. I'm a Cleveland fan. I will always be a Cleveland fan. Um, I lived in Chicago for nearly 20 years, but I can't give up my home team. See, Ohioans, man. (laughs) (laughs) Loyal to the death. I respect it, though. I respect it, though. You know, I've been I've been pulling for the Indians. It's it's like I said, I'm a Braves fan. Um, And when it comes to baseball, I I love it so much that like I I just love watching teams and people as well. So I will like root for other teams to succeed. Now, football, that's completely different. Like I don't want nobody else to win outside of my team. Um, But for baseball, it's a little more universal just because I think I understand the game so much more and uh, played for a long time as well. Um, but I've, I've wanted the Indians to get over this hump. You know, I was really rooting for them, uh, you know, 2016. And, and you know, um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm a big fan of Francisco Lindor. Uh, yes. I love his play. Uh, he's a he's a one, just a bright figure, fun figure to see and play in baseball. And I think we need a lot more of that, of course. Uh, then he's just overall talented as well. So. Uh, hopefully he can be retained in Cleveland. I haven't seen much else. Is there any other news going towards his uh, free agency? No. All we're hearing is that he wants to stay and that they have no money. Um, (laughs) It's kind of the worst. Um, It's like you have a player who wants to stay, Mm -hmm. who wants to be in Cleveland, and you know all the Cleveland jokes insert them here, whatever. Right. Um, and, and it's like, this is an opportunity for the organization. It would be good for the city. It would be good for the fan base. But no, no, no. MLB owners are the worst and continue to be the worst. They have so much money. Um, and I want to comment on something you said about how you like root for other teams. Yeah. I am a giant hater. Um <laughs> I won't like actively tell you I'm rooting against your team because that's rude and it's kind of mean and it's unnecessary. But in my heart, I'm probably rooting against everyone else's favorite team. Like, nice. It it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I, like there'll be some positives to the team, and I'll be like, oh, I'm rooting for that guy, or I'm rooting for this narrative. But otherwise, no, I want all others to fail. Right. No, I, like I said, that's how I am in, in football. Like when it comes to watching Dallas, um, I'm like, bro, I I want everybody to completely just be. Like, if the Redskins could go 0-16 every single year, I would not blink an eye at all. <laughs> at all. Like, I would not. Uh, and so I'm with you on the huge hater thing. Like, I, I am very much that person when it comes to football. Uh, I'm like, you know, I don't – you know, if it's not Dallas, we, we take enough – black already so uh, it's deserved uh, I don't know it's deserved come know. on I don't think Dallas so. fans for the most part are kind of annoying so I feel like <laughs> people give most of them a hard time for that reason right yeah I'll give you that because there's okay, there's, okay. there's Dallas fans that I don't like because they're like every year they're, they're the 
we're going to the Super Bowl, people. And I'm like, bro, we don't have any talent on this team. Like, we're awful. Uh, <laughs> I think people can deal with me because I am very realistic. I'll be the first to tell people that, like, we suck. Like, we, we are not good. Uh, and you'll have those people be like, oh, you need to cheer on your team all the time and blah, 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 blah. I mean, my dumb self is still in front of the TV 16 weeks out of the year uh, watching them. So, you know, regardless of how good they are. But, no, I try to be realistic with my expectations because I know the letdown is coming either in December or before then. Uh, so, who knows? But... Uh, great. Well, thanks for sharing that. Did you happen to play sports coming up? Um, I did. Um, I ran track for a bit. I was actually pretty fast, <laughs> which is strange. Um, I ran track for a little bit. I tried basketball for a little while. Um, I tried baseball in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I even played baseball a little bit as an adult. Um, on like a park league team and nice. we basically play terribly and go have pizza and beer after but <laughs> I did it yeah. um, I've always been connected to sports a little bit For I tried kickboxing for a while mm-hmm. cool Cool. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, <clears throat> and I think that's something I'll probably bring up, uh, with you playing baseball as well. I actually had, um, a young lady play baseball with me, um, probably when I was like 10, 11 age range. Uh, she was really good, super fast. I mean, she was like, uh, Juan Pierre type. If you remember his style of play, like he could slap it to anywhere in the field, turn it into a double. He could drag bunt for a single if you needed him to. Uh, She could do all that. She was super talented. Uh, So it was exciting to see her play as well and be as good and just see some of the guys be like, dang, she fast. You know, like she was a she was a speedster. She got down that line. Uh, No problem. that's good. That's good. And I think what you described as the being the team that's awful and just go for pizza and beer, I think that's like 90% of all co-ed and just wreck softball, baseball teams or whatever. You just, you're, you're out there to be active and then you're out there to have some good time and make connections as well. So that's good. Cool. So uh, getting back to uh, the theme of women in sports and kind of what you're doing, uh, I want you to discuss some of maybe the barriers you've faced and kind of getting into what you're doing. Uh, you've talked about writing in black, uh, about black culture and baseball. Uh, those two things kind of seem, uh, I don't know, like they don't really relate, uh, being that not many of us watch baseball anymore. Uh, but talk about some of like some of those barriers you've had or experiences you've had, uh, and how you've overcome them. Um, I will say that I sit in a very interesting spot as a baseball fan. Um, and a writer. I'm black and a woman. And sports has a very difficult time connecting to women in general. So then we factor in sports' issues with racism, among other things. It, it's a, I'm sitting in a very weird position. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of women who are huge sports fans, women who want to work in any, you know, sports tangential job. Um, and we're constantly overlooked. So when I'm, as a black woman, I'm also doubly overlooked. It's, it's interesting. People treat me, I've said this a few times, like a, a unicorn, some special rarity in that 
oh my god there is a black woman who likes baseball there are so many there's so many um but there are a lot of barriers to fandom of the game and that's a lot of people are extremely air quote traditional about it right um there's still a lot of racism in the game for sure um the declining numbers of black american players in the game um and then there's the whole idea that sports in general and sports media they use black culture to market they use black culture to make something seem fun i wrote about it a little bit but mlb's whole squad ready campaign Mm -hmm. like the migos (laughs) (laughs) that's not something that you connect to baseball Mm -hmm. or if you read some of the league twitter accounts they're constantly you know using slang and it's like this is not how these accounts talk this is most likely not even the way the people who run these accounts talk so it's a very interesting like genre of sport to kind of be trying to break through in um, right now because we're still facing the very same problems that were around 70 years ago. Um, there hasn't been very much movement. Progress is slow. Um, and it's disheartening sometimes. And occasionally it's like, I'm not going to waste my time watching this because insert whatever uncomfortable, racist, homophobic, misogynistic situation happened this week. Um, And sports are political. So I think we all need to consider that what's happening in the world is exactly what's happening in sports. It just appears bigger in the sport because it's a, it's a league of people. And um, it's a good way for us to see what our problems are, what we need to focus on. And people don't because they're like, this is entertainment. But it goes both ways. Yeah, for sure. I think you, you get that when uh, you mentioned some great things in there. You get that. uh I guess you can say that narrative that it's it's entertainment or like you you hear people say oh stick to being an athlete right but first and foremost they're people and once they step off the field off the court wherever uh they're people in a society and as many of the leagues outside of baseball face they're african-american society and our society is not necessarily built to uh support a lot of that, you know, as we've seen with a lot of racial tension and things like that in our country. Um, So it's interesting that, you know, uh, people want to kind of, I guess, I don't want to say dumb down, but dial down the fact that, you know, it's more than just entertainment. You know what I'm saying? Sports is definitely a microcosm of our society. Uh, Societal issues are in sports. Sports issues are in society. You know, they they mirror each other often. so I and being political, I think that's uh, I think so many people forget about that too, uh, and it's not at the just at the professional level; it's in all levels of sport too. Um, I mentioned it to somebody I was talking to recently about how I was passed over for an all star spot back in like fifth grade uh, because the coach's son and some other kid he worked with like came on the team or whatever. First of all, the kid came late in the season probably like at least five, six games into the season, right? Then he was short, he could barely hit, and he was not as good as me. I'm just going to put it out there. Simple as that. (laughs) Uh, And I had played for the same coach for, this was my second year playing with him. And like he, you know, used to give me confidence all the time. I was a good hitter. I could field. Of course, they stuck me in the outfield uh, because they thought it was fast and 
good throw. Um, and like, you know, he comes in and then he, he gets my all-star spot. And I was really upset, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, but it, it, the, the politics of it all are, are not just in professional sports, but it's all through. And I think uh, those are the same people who who uh, get into uh, these arenas as well uh, and continue uh-huh. a, a lot of those uh, a lot of those narratives good 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 um, good so how can and, and, and I like to um, talk about this too or ask this question do you feel a sense of responsibility as a black woman to kind of create avenues or opportunities for others to come through. Um, I know everybody doesn't always feel that way. Um, some people feel like I got mine, you can get yours. Um, I think that's a, I want to say common theme within African-American community, but you do see it uh, where people say, you got to figure it out. I did, you can figure it out. I am totally open to whatever I'm doing, helping someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, my entire mission, I guess in my life, not even just spiritually, has always been to help the next person. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I was always taught to do stuff for others, to bring people up. Um, and then I met Lawrence Holmes, who is in sports media in Chicago. And he always says, lift as you climb. And I think that is an important philosophy for anybody, but especially underrepresented groups. If there is somebody else who is a black woman who I can help, who I can, I don't know, even if it's just sharing an email address or introducing them to someone else, sometimes it's something as small as inviting the right people out to dinner or out to drinks and opportunities come from there, then I'm always gonna be willing to do that because you know, somebody has to open their door and hold it for someone else. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like the hold it part. I think people forget about that. Um, the opportunities can close just as fast as they open. Uh, because if you leave, then they'll kind of just go back to the status quo. Uh, so it's important to keep that door open as well. And and I think the little things that you mentioned too are important too, is like, I think many people think it's, you gotta become this huge social activist or whatever, and that's not the case. It's really just, if there is a, a person of color, a black person or somebody that, you know, is similar to you if you're in a marginalized group and you have the opportunity to uh, give them the opportunity, uh, I think you should. I'm with you. Uh, I definitely try to do that the same for me. Um, I work in public health and a lot of the issues that we see health related, African-Americans are usually at the top of the list, yet within executive levels like executive leadership, management, uh, we're not very well represented uh, represented, excuse me, um, in those in those areas. So, you know, using the l- little bit of influence I have, I definitely try to uh, encourage people to go into public health or mentor students as well. Even if it's like you said, just connecting them with somebody who is willing to talk with them about graduate school or program planning or grant writing or anything like that, uh, that can that can further their skills as well. So. 
Oh yeah. The most important thing that I've learned is the sense of community necessary to advance in anything. Um, it can't be that you're against other people or you're trying to climb on top of others. You have to have a community. There has to be people who you support and encourage and they support and encourage you. Right. Um, a lot of times we forget that, you know, there's somebody else whose problems might be a little greater than ours. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. All right. So uh, going back to baseball, thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts on the the barriers and your experience. Going back to baseball, you mentioned uh, again about writing uh, in black culture. Can you give us maybe just a couple uh, examples of some of the things you've written about uh, focusing on black culture and baseball? Yeah. Um, I wrote about uh, Tim Anderson was suspended early last season for using the N-word when speaking to a white player after the player um, hit him. Um, That was a big one. Um, I've written about um, women in baseball. I wrote about Ashton Lansdale. She... uh, lives in Georgia and she signed to play college men's baseball instead of switching to softball, which is a huge deal. The more young women who do that, the more likely there is a chance that one of them will maybe play in MLB. I know Ashton said that that's her goal. Mm -hmm. Um, She's the next Javi Baez, which that was super dope to hear. Um, Nice. (laughs) I wrote about the last player, I guess, to integrate a team. Um, Everyone knows the Red Sox were last. Um, Not surprising. I wrote about Pumsy Green and how he really was a reluctant pioneer. He didn't really want to be there. He wanted to play in California, which was already integrated. Um, But he got called up and and it was Boston. So it was very lonely and very dark for him. yeah, I've, I've written about so much. I'm trying to think. Um, I recently wrote about the Centennial of the Negro League. Um, that's huge. Yes. There'll be some celebrations probably league-wide this year, this season. Hopefully there'll be more announcements. I haven't seen too many. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um, so my brother and I, we, we grew up playing baseball, watching baseball. Uh, so we, who is, he's one of my co-hosts. We did a two-part episode on um African-Americans in baseball, blacks in baseball. And we mentioned the history of the Negro Leagues and um, and then too how the MLB can really start to market its players. And I think Tim Anderson is one of those people they need to jump on the bandwagon and really push. <laughs> the same way that the NBA and the NFL really boost their superstars and they've influenced a lot of kids to get into. I mean, for our baseball to have double digits uh, in African-American participation to single digits now in the span of 25 years or so. Um, and now the NBA uh, and NFL are just so huge and not just popularity for watching, but just culture influence, period. Uh, I think baseball has the opportunity to do that if they want to, which is the biggest thing. Um uh-huh. And I think Tim Anderson is that person to do it. I've been watching his uh, YouTube videos about spring training. Uh, I was super hyped when he flipped the bat last season 
Yes, it was in the fourth inning. Yes, it doesn't matter. I just hit a bomb <laughs> off you. So like like that's my thing. You talked about tradition with baseball too. I think they have to get a there's a need to get away from some of this too. It's like the right way to play baseball, right? And you see it in the NFL too. There's still people, those traditionalists who feel like if you snag on somebody in the end zone to score a touchdown, you should hand the ball to the ref and then walk to the sideline. No, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I just made a spectacular play. Like, let me celebrate, right? Uh, taunting taunting is one thing, right? Um, limit that because that can escalate and, and cause problems and potential injuries and stuff like that. But if I'm celebrating with my teammates, there should be nothing wrong with that. Um, I think a bat flip, you can call it taunting. I think it's more so celebrating that I, an individual achievement at the time. Uh, but that's just my opinion. So, um, I, the story about, I think you said her name is Ashton Lansdale. Um, Uh I have not read about that, but, uh, I want to, um, I think baseball has the opportunity to be groundbreaking because I think baseball is a sport that women can definitely get into and succeed. Um, you think about football, the people often bring about like the strength factor and just the physiological differences and all that stuff and not saying they can't compete. Uh, but baseball doesn't, it's one of those ones like it's, it's skill, right? Um, you don't have to be the strongest player to, to be good. You know, uh, it's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of skill. Um, and like I said, I've I've seen girls play and they've been good, you know, so I would love to see um, a woman break into Major League Baseball, into college baseball as well. Um, so what are your thoughts on kind of recruiting uh, women into these arenas? Um, how can we get more diversity within the executive level, the coaching level. I mean, the NBA now has 11 women who are coaching, uh, most famously Becky Hammond. So what are your thoughts on kind of getting, breaking that, breaking that glass ceiling or breaking down that wall? I mean, all they have to do is give them the jobs. Right. Like, it's really just that simple. It's not that there isn't any interest. It's right. not that there aren't women who want to do these jobs. It's that they're not being interviewed. They're not being given a shot. I mean, we're starting to see more coaches mm-hmm. in MLB now. Um, but it's just, it's really a matter of not ignoring the interested parties. There are definitely tons of women and you know, non-men who want to do these jobs. And I feel like what I've started to notice is within any organization, really, people hire people they know or the people of people they know. Mm -hmm. And because no one is really expanding their circles, no one is really getting out and networking with people who aren't similar to them, that also creates this whole barrier for women and you know people of color because we we tend to hang out with people who are like us yep. whether it's conscious or not we tend to hang out with people who look like us who act like us who think like us and when you don't branch out you there are a lot of people who miss opportunities and i think that is one of the main barriers of entry is just people aren't looking at those who are interested they're looking at those they know who are interested for sure for sure good all right all right so uh 
staying in baseball, give us your thoughts on the state of African-American players in Major League Baseball. Um, it's not great, but it is changing, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely far fewer far fewer black American players in Major League Baseball now than there once was. There aren't really any promoted players. Um, We don't really hear about them the way we hear about, say, your Mike Trout. Um, And that's hurtful to the game. Mm Because Ken Griffey Jr. was everything. He was an icon. Everything. An entire generation knows who Ken Griffey Jr. is. Yeah. And took interest in baseball and kids want to see people who look like them. They want to see people who are cool. They want to see people who are fun. And (laughs) the status quo is not it. Yeah. So I think that plays a massive role in that there's no interest. It's also really expensive to get into playing baseball. It is. Um, I tweeted a couple of teams in the past couple of years, just asking people to throw a couple of dollars their way, five, six, seven bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. Um, the teams use it to help with the registration costs for kids whose families may not otherwise be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, and every little bit helps because, like I said, it's an expensive sport. You have yes. equipment, uniforms, and travel, <laughs> yeah. food. Don't I know it? So, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of that plays a role in you know what happens in the majors. Is we have to have enough kids who are young who take an interest and stick with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, stick with it. Because I have a ton of friends who was like, oh, I play t-ball and coaches pitch. And after that, I stopped. And I was just like, dang, you know, got to hold a football, got to hold a basketball. Uh, and growing up down south, of course, football is king, um, as always. You know, football is first, and then everything else is kind of secondary. Uh, basketball is in popularity. Uh, but I know about the expense. I looked up the cost of bats for just like youth league right a new bat is still around 150 200 from your major companies like easton adidas um rawlings d marini like those companies and like that they're still around 200 for a new bat now granted you you don't necessarily need to go get a new bat just because you want to play uh there's um, you know, places like Play It Against Sports or um, recycled and refurbished kind of equipment and stuff like that, which if you're getting kids into it and they haven't played before, that's always good until then. But even after they've expressed interest and they want to stick with it, like the money part is still uh, very huge. Um, and then you get into the opportunities for travel ball, right? Um, okay. I, I wanted to play, uh, but expensive um had opportunities but it was just too expensive you know it was myself and my brother um as well so that would have been a lot of money uh you know to really commit to doing that uh so i am working on uh creating a space for that opportunity as well with my nonprofit organization so um I definitely agree with you. Like the expense is one thing, the promotion of it. Uh, There needs to be a LeBron James, another Griffey. Uh, I have two pairs of Griffey shoes now, you know, like he he was that icon to where he he crossed not just fandom athletically, but culturally as well. Right. Had the shoes, had the swag, the hat backwards. He was in TV commercials. Um, 
and like you say, you don't really see that promotion of those players and stuff like of those of our players as well. So, um, I uh, one thing I thought was interesting last year. Uh, I don't know if you follow college baseball, but last year the University of Michigan and Vanderbilt played for the College World Series, and Michigan had I think nine players, nine black players on their team. Four started, um, and then Vanderbilt had about seven. Uh, from African-American players with about, I think, at least three or four starting or within rotational roles or whatever. Um, most famous, like their pitcher, Kumar Rocker, who threw an excellent game, and I think in game two of that. But I, I, I thought it was interesting that both those coaches said that they are intentional about recruiting in inner cities. Uh, because there's a bevy of talent that goes missed because kids aren't really looked at in those areas as well so they're playing uh they're in these high schools they may not be you know your imgs and stuff like that of course but uh there's talent there you know uh these hidden gems and they shouldn't be hidden gems they should be very much visible but the intentionality i think in baseball has to increase oh yeah for sure um i think a lot of people have a problem with saying it but it's true. You have to be specific and intentional. These are the kinds of players we need. We need to go to these areas, these neighborhoods, whatever. Um, it's it's <laughs> baseball's problem is nobody wants to talk about baseball's problems, so they just continue. That's good. Um, whereas if they just head on, like we have this clear deficiency, this is the path that we are going to take to help fix it, it would be different. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying they aren't trying. It just doesn't feel like they're trying hard enough. They have the dream series, which is supposed to be, I think now they're seeing the results of it. Um, if you look at the Mariners roster currently, they got a lot blacker, (laughs) a lot. And so it's, it's changing. It's just taking some time, way too much time. If you ask me, but hopefully we'll get back to the levels and beyond of you know 90s and 70s ball because right now we have iconic black players who are like i sure wish there were more black kids in the game right yeah uh i've seen griffey talk about it uh which is i think one of my favorite people to watch growing up and i mentioned this uh i had a top five black players that i witnessed play um one of them in a position that you have not seen a lot of African-Americans in since the 70s, uh, early 80s, is the pitching position, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and CeCe Sabathia is like one of the people I remember following from the time he got into the league all the way to his retirement. When he was in Cleveland, uh, uh-huh. uh, I was definitely rooting for Cleveland uh, in that 2004 series versus Boston. Uh <laughs> I thought they had the 2004, 2007, I think it was. Uh, so I was definitely rooting for them then. Uh, but the pitching position, you know, so I, I think about the intentionality of putting kids in those positions, right? Uh, I pitched all of maybe two games in my whole baseball career. I paid from my age five all the way to 17. And I pitched maybe two games. I eventually worked my way to the infield because of coaches that recognized that my arm was not strongest for the outfield. Yes, I could cover it because I had the skill to kind of, you know, uh, 
get a good jump and all that stuff like that. I knew how to, but I think my athleticism would have been fit better for the infield um, as well. And I think some of that intentionality is is in coaching as well too, right? Putting these players in uh, multiple spots, not just sticking them in the outfield because you think they're fast. I was not fast at all. I was not. Uh, I'll never forget a high school game. I got walked and I got on first. I took a lead and they picked over six times before the next batter got either got hit or, or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not about to steal because I'm not fast. But I guarantee if you talk to any other black players, they're like, yeah, we get they're picking over every time you get on base because they think you're about to steal. Uh, <laughs> And that's not the case. Like, I was not about to steal at all, um, for sure. So, yeah, the intentionality is definitely important. Um, and like you said, there are definitely players uh, who are, you know, definitely championing for more uh, black black players, black kids to get into the, the game. I read an article from the theshadowleague.com uh, that's talked about MLB develops in – and like you said, they're starting to see some of these changes uh, as well. I'm not sure how well the RBI program is working. Um, I I don't know. I'd have to do some research or if you may know, but I don't remember them really specifically highlighting a player that has come from that uh, program since maybe like Jimmy Rollins. Yeah, I don't hear too much about it. I would have to look into it myself. Um, it's, it's interesting. They don't talk too much about the results of these programs yet, and I think that's the sign. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question uh, and just your opinion. Where do you see women in sports going? Uh, and when will we see women cross over into these professional sport leagues as like players? I see women in sports continuing to grow. I see eventually there being, you know, more women owners and executives. Um, I do hope one day that maybe in, in my lifetime, there'll be a woman who plays in Major League Baseball. Um, I don't rule any of it out. But as far as how, when it will happen, I have no idea. I wouldn't even want to try to guess because <laughs> progress is so slow, you know? Um, I would I would love it to be in the next five to ten years, but that doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would take a, a major, like a very transformational shift, like in, in mindset and somebody would have to come in. <laughs> Uh, I think somebody with a lot of money, because money talks, obviously, to say, like, this is what we're doing, you know, and I think it starts with, you know, our the um, MLB commissioner, you know, being intentional about, you know, these things and all the way down to the youth leagues as well. Um, and as I mentioned and talked with my aunt last week, she's in executive leadership. It's about like you like you mentioned, interviewing, uh, being intentional being strategic to offer these opportunities for women, uh, promote these opportunities, you know, so if women are majoring and studying business, you know, offer up the opportunity to get into the sports world and executive uh, management and GM and uh, player personnel positions as well. Uh, I'd love to see Jessica Mendoza on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, I love to hear her talk about baseball. She is so knowledgeable. 
Uh, so more of that, more in broadcasting, you know, who are not just sideline reporters, but they're also very much analysts giving in-depth play-by-play analysis as well. Uh, so I think that's very much needed. Great. All right. So how can we uh, read your writing? Where can we find uh, your writing? Um, I usually tweet everything. I am at Curly Fro on Twitter. I also have a personal website that I don't really talk about much, but it's in my bio. It's bourbonandcookies.com. Any podcast I'm on, I post the links there. Anything I write, I post the links there as well. Um, It's a nice place if you don't want to keep up with my Twitter feed to go check occasionally to see if I post anything new. Okay, cool, cool. So bourbonandcookies.com. That's an interesting title. (laughs) Uh, Um, because everyone else puts their website as their their name right and i could do that but i'm not the only shakia taylor and i I learned this by googling myself but um bourbon and cookies it's you won't forget it um and it's it used to be a, a late night like i'm having a drink and a dessert or a snack thing for me cool well, it makes sense. This makes sense. They're actually two of my favorite things as well. So uh, it's easy to remember. Well, thank you so much for being on. I truly enjoyed uh, your perspective and thanks for taking the time. And uh, thanks for your patience. As this morning, y'all, we were experiencing some technical difficulties, but we got through it. Uh, so thanks for your patience. Again, uh, Shakia Taylor, and you can follow her on Twitter at at Curly Fro, and her website is uh, bourbonandcookies.com. So with that being said, that's all I got. Um, I want people to recognize that there is opportunity for us to grow, not just in executive leadership, in sport, but so many areas if we are intentional about including women. Uh, Women make up much more of the workforce, much more of college-educated people. Uh, So eventually we're going to have to do it. Why not start now? Uh, there is a need, so we need to fill it as well. Uh, be intentional if you are in uh, positions of leadership, positions of power and status to include women in your circles uh, and provide those opportunities for them. And I guarantee you will be better off for it. So that's all I got. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. We're on all major platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Follow us on Instagram at said underscore talk. The links to the show are in the bio. And also be sure to cop a said talk tea. Uh, all proceeds go towards my nonprofit organization, Palmetto Pride Sports, a low-cost club and travel sports organization dedicated to minority, minority youth who play sports with low minority representation. Uh, So that includes baseball, softball, volleyball, tennis, lacrosse, soccer. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about that, follow us on Instagram at palmettopride803, or you can email me at smwarren1906 at outlook.com. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And as always, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you later.